on this episode of Movies Ruin My Life, everyone gets really angry and we all say fuck a lot. It's Quentin Tarantino. Danny, this is East, this is Devin, I'm Brandon, this week we're talking about Quentin Tarantino. And this is a lofty subject, we might go all over the fucking place with this one, because this is, you know, this is a guy that that um, came into prominence kind of in our golden age of discovery for film, I think across the board, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely... Uh, um, for me, a lot of first exposures to a lot of different sorts of cinema that I then subsequently, you know, fell in love with as a result of him. He's been a, a conduit, and I, I feel like he has been for a lot of people of our generation, you know, getting into him borrowing from all sorts of different kinds of cinema, him just being this movie store nerd and, and, and finding, uh, you know, this... Um, this love for film and sharing it with the world is uh, so fucking respectable. A guy whose first film, I guess, Reservoir Dogs, uh, premiered at, at Cannes, right? Or Cannes? Um, Cannes! <laughs> to, to rave reviews. Um, and, uh, and hasn't stopped since. Just been a fucking machine about banging out solid movies, every, you know, basically, uh, you know, every two, three years since, since 92. Um, also a great year because the Jays won the World Series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful year. Wonderful year. Yeah. Almost so good, you'd almost want to name your band after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you know, it, all of his early films are, are uh, distributed by Miramax, um, Great era for Miramax. Um, some of my favorite films, uh, you know, like The Crow and uh, Dark City were with Alex Proyas. Obviously, Reservoir Dogs, um, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Um, All the Kevin Smiths. Yeah, the Kevin Smiths were there as well. Just so many great filmmakers getting their break in this era and and with this particular studio. And, uh, you know, also pretty amazing monetary results. We talked a little bit about these little films that could last time that you were here East mm-hmm. and, um, and Tarantino and his early work definitely fix, fits into this, you know, um, w- Reservoir Dogs done for just over a million dollars, $1.2 million. What undergrows 22 million at the box office. And I can't even imagine what this, this movie's done on DVD, all the different collector's editions and so forth that are available. It's, it's really, really cool. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, <clears throat> I'm hard pressed to think of any film that of his, maybe with the exception of uh, of Death Proof, <laughs> that we're looking at right now. We're all like scrolling down the page to see that you know that hasn't been just super received by critics, well received by critics, and 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 also well received by audiences alike. Um, I, I went into this a bit earlier. I, I don't traditionally like to open a conversation with you know, your first experience or how did you get into these films? But I think that this is a guy that you have to do that for. Oh yeah. This mm-hmm. is a guy that you have to do that for. Um, do you want to go clockwise around the table? What was your first exposure and how did you get into Tarantino, Danny? Uh, Pulp Fiction, like everybody. Uh, I avoided it for years because my sister found it confusing 
And so I, like, <laughs> trusted her for some reason and just didn't watch it for, like, five years because she said, you know, it's backwards. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, the linear – I think she preferred linear stuff. But the first time I watched it, yeah, I just well, – how old was I? Probably 15. Really? Yeah. So I came pretty late to Tarantino. And at the time, I thought it was a pretty big deal that Bruce Willis was in the movie. Not so much yeah. anyone else he mm. snagged. Yeah. And then, like, reading about it now, it turned out that that was a coup for Tarantino. Yeah. Because Willis was a major movie star in 95 mm-hmm. who took a massive pay cut. So, yeah, it'd be uh, Pulp Fiction. East? Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction. For me, I was, I was 12. Mm-hmm. And it was on uh, WB49 one night. And uh, I watched it, and uh, it was fucking, I was blown away. His head's dead, baby. That was like, that was when, Yeah, it was cool, because that's when I thought the movie actually ended, because that's, you know, where Pulp Fiction does end. And then, yeah. you know, as soon as it fades off, and then it goes to black, and it goes right back to, you know, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta, you know, in the, you know, in the restaurant. As yeah, we, as we which all, happens we've, earlier. Yeah, yeah, we've heard, we've seen, we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, holy shit, this movie just keeps going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking right. Okay, here we go. But yeah, that was my first love affair. Yeah, uh, same. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think it's where a lot of people uh, from our generation started. I mean, I think Reservoir Dogs was still a little bit too underground for, you know, when you're when you're 12 or 13 years old. You're not exactly seeking that stuff out. Um and, uh, you know, uh, Jackie Brown, I think I probably saw Pulp Fiction around the time that Jackie Brown would have already been out. Yeah. But it's, I, again, you know, for, for, um, for, for a younger, uh, but, but mature, um, <laughs> mature for, for, the for a young, uh, for a young kid, I think Jackie Brown still doesn't like, it isn't really as easy for, for you to get into at that age. Um, whereas Pulp Fiction, I mean, it's like, it's like a comic, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, in, in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, I, I, yeah, that was, that was where I got into it. I don't think, I, I think it was like a chance, like, uh, renting a movie at a, a sleepover or something at a friend's house. Like we go, you know, ride our bikes to Blockbuster or something and mm. get somebody's parents to, to like one game in two movies, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I um I actually did get exposed to Reservoir Dogs first, and it's a really weird cool. story. Not really, but um, because I was such a a, a movie idiot uh, in my early teenage years, I remember we were living we were living in Brampton, and uh, at Christmas, my all of my family just would buy random movies, and one of the ones that I got was the collector's edition of Reservoir Dogs, which I had no idea what it was. And to be honest, the first time I saw it, I was fucking horrified. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you're 13 years old, and, you know, the, the, particularly I remember being bothered by the um, all the blood in the back seat of the fucking car. That's the first mm-hmm. scene, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was just, stomach. you know, yeah. just... You're just, not gonna die! Yes. <laughs> You're gonna be okay. Say the goddamn word. <laughs> you know, like... Um, and just, it was like a fucking downhill from there, That like the shit in Tarantino's head, and like just, you know, the opening sequence, just gratuitous talk, like, I, you know, as much as it bothered me, I was fucking hooked, because it's like, you're 13 years old, you're like, just give me all of the terrible things in the world so I can <laughs> absorb them. I like to hear people cursing and blood and, you know, nudity and whatnot. Um, 
you know, and, and, and like I said, it was completely accidental. It was one of those things that I went through every film that I just kind of got for Christmas. And, and then I, I watched, I remember watching that one last, like, oh, okay, fine. I'll give it a shot. Uh, much in the same way as I've come to like the metal gear series. I came to that the same way in, in video games, like just chance encounter of a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. And so interesting that out of that, you know, became, I became addicted to this guy's films and, you know, eh, Goes without saying, we're doing a fucking podcast on it. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is uh, in the next segment, segment, the next two segments of this episode, we're each going to kind of elect our favorite film um, or the most notable work uh, from Tarantino's catalog and, uh, and, you know, talk about it. But before we get into that, I want to talk about some of the staples of this man's uh, style mm-hmm. and, and, and some of the effects that he's had subsequently on cinema. East, you already um, touched briefly on the um, – and, and so did you, Danny, on the um, nonlinear storytelling mm-hmm. method that he takes, um, You know, which, yes, obviously is a dramatic tool, but also is just kind of uh, – it's an interesting way to kind of keep your audience on the edge of their seats – you know, and keep them in, engaged because they're, you know, you really do have to follow his stories mm-hmm. um, incredibly closely. Y- you know, even something that's more linear, like, uh, you know, we all know he wrote True Romance. And even though that film is very linear, you still very much have to follow it. You know, you have to be on the edge of your seat and follow every fucking thing that Christian Slater says or like when he, you know, all of, all. I don't know. Every piece of his work, you, you're either in or you're out, and if you're in, it's the greatest experience of your fucking life. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. True romance. It's like it is linear, but it's explosive because there is what there's at least three storylines. There's the Elliot Cocaine. He's yeah. the film director. There's Christian Slater's. Uh, my sister hates that movie, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> she thinks Christian Slater's like Dennis the Menace in that. Movie. <laughs> and then there's the actor whose name I forgot, who gets the part at the end, doesn't he? Yes. Michael Rappaport? Michael Rappaport. Yeah. yeah, Rappaport, yes. Yeah. He's great. And then I think there's... No, that's it. Because Brad Pitt's just at home. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. just smoking weed he's and showing up at Not to mention that is, you know, that is the only movie to actually utilize Belky outside of fucking Perfect Strangers yeah. and, and make him kind of like badass. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Gordon yeah, Pinchot and yeah. True Romance is fucking awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody, like, he's just incredible. Like, True Romance is a, I, I do love that movie. Mm-hmm. And you can tell the writing style of Quentin Tarantino in that movie, especially, you know, your pot eggplant, you know, with Dennis Hopper <laughs> yeah, and Christopher Walken. <laughs> you know, like, I love that. Christopher Walken, you know, very similar sort of character that he had in uh, Pulp Fiction where he's only in one scene. Yeah. And it's the best monologue you'll probably ever hear in your entire life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, say me to the angels. They'll be damned to know who it is. <laughs> my God. You know, like, fuck, he's just the man, you know? Quint, he's, uh, I love Shrek. Yeah, another one I want to quickly touch on, too. I'm, I'm sorry, you go ahead, Devin. You go, De- you go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say on this, on the, the same topic, kind of like the monologues, like just the, the way that he writes dialogue, um, there, there's no person, I, I feel, that... Like it's it's almost like um, all of the characters are. Um, it's like one voice doing a speaking, but split across multiple characters. Yeah. Like it's the same, the same tone, the same. Mm-hmm. Like everything is so is so perfect, 
but you don't feel like it's too much. Right? Yeah, you never I, feel like that. And I, and uh, in the monologues, especially, mm-hmm, like yeah. The, um, the way you know this one character can break into you know this long. Uh, you know, kind of, I kind of, you know, basically laying out like, like uh, the theme of the movie almost in a lot of cases, or, mm. or just going off on something completely unrelated. Like yeah, just, just telling a story uh, within the story. A great example um, is Kill Bill Volume Two with uh, Carradine doing the Superman thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. or yeah. Uh, uh, another walk and doing doing the watch. Yeah, the uh, watch. story in Pulp Fiction. The watch. It's just this watch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, just, just. Um, just so such a fantastic uh dialogue writer it, it's yeah. it's uncanny and it's so beautifully stylized i don't know if, as i necessarily agree with you that he has one voice i think you know out of, out of the guys that came out of that era i think the most guilty of that is, is kevin smith most likely yeah. like i always feel like his dialogue is literally just him falling in love yeah. with his words yeah. And, yeah. you know that. that that being said i i, I love kevin smith and mm-hmm. uh, and um you know that we can address that in another episode but i i don't i don't know as i agree on that front I do agree in the sense that the dialogue that that Tarantino writes, no one else on the fucking planet can write that dialogue. Mm. He is one of a kind. And, uh, you know, I I think that uh, he does grant a lot of perspective Mm. to his characters individually. And and he's very talented, you know, and Pulp Fiction is a good example where he he will drive someone to both love these – terrible characters but then still be morally responsible in that he'll put the wrong ideas in their head so you know this guy is the one that's gone astray and he he is wrong in this situation and and his dialogue is wrong and things like that like there is a a moral undertone to his work it's not all one heartbeat it's not all one thought process it well it is but it's it's presented to you uh from both sides of an argument in a lot of cases, which is really interesting. Say, for example, the tipping scene in, mm-hmm. in Reservoir Dogs or, um, you know, I'm I'm struggling to think of another example because I just brought this up off the top of my head. But, uh, well, uh, the same movie, like the whole situation with the what they're going to do with the cop and, and so on like this. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how he does that, how he's able to send the right message to the audience. But through all these varied opinions that are all from different points on the scale of, mm-hmm. of you know, being completely fucking insane to being completely uh, in the right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I chose the wrong words. I mean, maybe it's more that, like, I, I think when, when you've got a scene between two people talking mm-hmm. or something like that, they connect on such, like, a perfect Oh, yeah. It's fluid. Level. It's so it's, beautiful. And, and so there's a lot of variance between the characters, but when they're interacting with one another— it's almost it's almost too perfect. It's like real. If, if mm-hmm. for, for yeah, very stylized and very um, you know elevated, but at the same time, yeah, like and, you said, yeah, stylized is the word. Like yeah. it's really, really written dialogue, mm-hmm. quote unquote written. Like he does give his characters their own interiority, but he kind of makes sure he ensures that all of his characters like the things that he likes. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So he's been accused of that. Like probably the Nadir of his, like death proof is probably the worst. That mm. conversation <laughs> yeah. around the table where they're talking about vanishing point. Cause he does use his characters as like yeah. surrogates for his own pop culture that, views. But see like, the vanishing point thing. I have no problem with because vanishing point is one of the best fucking car chases ever. Like right up there for me with like bullet. And even, you know, we were talking about T2, um, yeah, you know, T2 and, motorcycle truck yeah, chase. And, yeah. and, and for me, I think that's, you know, setting the stage for what's coming. 
is getting people subconsciously primed for an what you know an attempt at an epic card chase sequence so that particular example i don't disagree with you but i just feel as though like vanishing points is perfectly in that fucking film because like you know that that just everything about vanishing point is like it's you don't remember anything about that fucking movie but those fucking chargers and and like the the great driving sequences mm-hmm. you know so yeah I, I, yeah i don't know i didn't mean to bring you to a fucking no, it halt makes with sense your thought to like okay yeah he's referencing the very movie he's trying to outdo exactly right? exactly and, and jackie brown i remember earlier in the movie samuel L. jackson mentions Ma- mandingo the yeah. 75 black exploitation movie one of yeah, the yeah, last yeah. big ones mm-hmm. and he's trying to outdo that mm-hmm. so maybe that's a recurring thing throughout yeah his movies. but you are right like for example the the delphonics in in jackie brown that's somewhat guilty of that, you know, the revisiting a track that, well, it's, you know, it's an important track, you know, um, obviously yeah. reimagined by Maurice Starr and New Kids on the Block. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, yeah, that is a big departure or like the Superman departure or what have you. He's injecting his own thoughts in people's head, but you can't exactly fault someone for that because it's, you know, uh, you look at a guy like Nolan, for example, in his arguably his best of the Batman movies, he's got 15 people all say I'm, saying I'm playing this close to the vest, mm. you know, and things like like he's got <laughs> yeah. 15 different characters. They're all like this is close to the vest. And not to mention, I, I also do ridicule as much as I love The Dark Knight. I do ridicule that movie because it had pretty much every single scene from the original Tim Burton Batman yeah. just placed in a different order. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. The scene, whatever. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> let's not depart too much. I've already These taken this too cookies. far off the track. Yeah, yeah let's in, have some one. girl guy cookies. <laughs> They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I don't know. Uh, w- w- one thing I did, uh, we, we can't not talk about. We're all musicians. We love music. Goes without saying. Um, and, and this man is the fucking purveyor of 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 uh of of musical selections you know like the the trendsetter from 92 through to today if it's in his film it's a fucking classic you know and it's it's not always that it was before it's like you know it's a he picks an obscure band that he hears in a fucking mall and then next thing you know they're doing kudo commercials or you know like cell phone jingles and th- shit like that you know he he has been a trendsetter from day 1 in terms of his music selections and and much in the way that Paul Thomas Anderson or someone like that another director that came out of that same era is but i feel as though Tarantino um doesn't hide behind his music selections i think that they're still the same way that i think um like paul thomas anderson is uh he uses he uses them very it very much as an emotive tool and i don't think tarantino does he very much injects them like this is fucking cool and this can be part of my universe and it's a universe building tool instead of a a tool for the audience it's 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 putting you into the into the world not into the scene and you know yes he does absolutely he doesn't always pick what's like i i mean a lot of uh people doing that kind of stuff will look for a song that that is a kind of direct analog for what they're visually trying to present to you whereas that's that it's it it's almost like it's haphazard just like he he is just throwing in something yeah that that he thinks you'll like not necessarily something that that actually yeah and he he did um, all these um, dumb yeah yeah and all these action films of the early 2000s that came out that all of a sudden had all these uh musical pieces that were kind of a juxtaposition to what was going on in the scene the transporter comes to mind films like that where um 
you know, he is the guy that started that trend up again. You know, he was the only one doing it through the 90s. Uh, you know, again, Paul Thomas Anderson to a lesser extent, um, where you would you would have this this intense moment and you would have music that that was part of the world, not part of your emotional response to it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, um, but the great thing is it's, like, it's created that it's created that loop that's yeah. now carried on for for 20 years subsequently yeah. or more than. And the kid, but the thing in the characters in the movie as well, like that's that music that they themselves would listen to. Yeah. And you can see that, especially <laughs> in that scene in Pulp Fiction, you know, when, uh, John Travolta is with Ian Thurman and they're in the diner. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, but there's two Marilyn Monroe's. He's like, no, no, no that's no. Marilyn Monroe. And he points mm-hmm. at the other actress. I can't remember her name. You know what I mean? He's like, and, it, uh, Mimi Van Doren. Yeah. He's like, he's like, that's Marilyn Monroe. That's Mimi Van Doren. And that's Buddy Holly. And he's like literally calling out <laughs> yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. It's good shit because that's the, that was the music yeah. that, you know, Vega listened to. And it's so mm-hmm. cool that the very first time we ever see this, this filmmaker do anything, he's talking about his interpretation on Madonna and it's him talking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fucking Tarantino talking about, you know, get, mm-hmm. Madonna getting a big fat dick. Like that's that's the first time that you hear this. Yeah. After a radio DJ extras yeah. a song, you know, yeah. right? So at the dance scene in Pulp Fiction, they're dancing to Chuck Berry, and I'm thinking Vincent Vega is familiar with the song at least, right? Because yeah, he knows yeah. all he's, those guys and, from he's, that era, and he's twisting, which is probably why he's dancing so well. And then they go home, and um, I mean, Uma Thurman listens to what that Urge Overkill song, yeah. "Girl, yeah. You'll Be a Woman yeah, yeah, Soon." Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so obviously she likes that song, and then she snorts heroin thinking it's coke. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was so confusing as a, as a kid. I thought she just did, like, too the much OG, cocaine. Yeah. And I, yeah, thought, yeah. I thought maybe you, know, you can put cocaine in a needle, I guess. Yeah, it's like, funny. I didn't, yeah, like, that's funny, man, because I, I didn't really, like, get into understanding Quentin Tarantino until I was in grade 10 English, and I had a teacher who was explaining to us short stories and to explain us how short stories work, he put on Pulp Fiction because it's pretty much just a bunch of short stories in the fucking movie, right? Mm. And so when that scene came on, he was just like, so this is how Quentin Tarantino set the movie uh, in the 80s without saying it's the 80s because, you know, heroin's coming back. It's all in, like, you know, what is said. And then, you know, sure, she is doing coke. Coke's huge in the fucking 80s. And... Thinking it's you know, and the resurgence of fifties culture is definitely a uh, um, an easy way because that happened in the eighties. Absolutely, yeah. The know, Reagan so, era, one on one. Yeah, so it's 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 really interesting how you know he was able to amplify kind of a byproduct of society at the time, and 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 then also conversely stylize it in in a, and create a very unique world and things that have carried on throughout his films. Big Kahuna Burger comes to mind. Came back up in Death Proof. It's come back up in a few other films. You just like that. I remember years ago you saying to me the reference to his glory days. You know the Big Kahuna Burger, yeah. Death Proof, and he says something about a tasty beverage when he's the bartender. Yeah, you know, is that a tasty beverage or is that a ta- like the well, recycling already coming up in like ten years? What was Death Proof two thousand? Well, six. There's there's two sides of it, and and you're right. I don't necessarily like it, but I also like the idea of those two films happening in the same universe because it grants it grants uh, a new perspective on Death Proof, which you know I, I actually like that movie more than most people. I think, but I like it, yeah, that's yeah. A good movie. but it, it's also it's also referenced in Dust Till Dawn as well. Yeah, is that you know all these places actually happened in the same world which is like there was an essay where a guy uh, wrote that the reason why kill bill doesn't have that references is because that is a movie world. that 
the people that you know Uma Thurman and all of them would watch in the world of Pulp Fiction and all that. That's the type of movie that they would go see. Is it Kill Bill? Interesting. That's why everything else has Big Kahuna Burger references or like sly references to his earlier work. Yeah. And so Django's supposed to be a movie that like and Glorious Bastards is supposed to that's how World War Two ended in the universe of Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really cool. Um so we talked about the music, we've talked about the stylized dialogue, we've talked about uh well, we haven't talked about the gratuitous violence yet. And I feel that this is also a, a callback to the 80s in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, just over the top. Just an obscene amount of blood and an obscene amount of gore um, to the extent that it's almost comical. Like, you know, obviously Kill Bill, the black and white because of, uh, you know, so much gore. blood. Yeah, it's, you know, it would be R- or it would be X-rated if, uh, if they had left it in color. Um, you know, I... I very much like that. I li- I like that as much as his his harsher critics say, you know, he's he's a very violent filmmaker. He's a very um almost like sadistic. I've heard, you know, that term used, and I don't see that because I see very much the same thing as I see with something like Evil like the Evil Dead remake or even the original series. Um obviously the original series, but the the remake comes to mind because literally that last act of that movie everything is fucking blood. Um but um you know i i see him um almost like stylizing violence in the same way that he does with everything else where um it doesn't desensitize you but it 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 makes you seek out other things to latch onto like you're not just watching some guy's head explode or what have you and and being stuck on that you're 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 propelling forward you're that's yeah okay that happened whatever let's keep going you know you're even more engrossed in the story as a result of that yeah and i i find um it even like in a lot of movies they they almost like romanticize violence by by uh hiding a lot of that stuff right mm-hmm. like you watch like um you know a, a 90s action film and it's like somebody gets shot in the head and there's like a you know, a, a half centimeter hole in like their forehead, <laughs> and like there's no blood anywhere because they're they're doing it to please the censors, yeah. and it dead. almost leaves you with yeah, like just just you know a movie that has a body count of like two hundred people that yeah. you've never felt a thing for. Yeah, where... and it also teaches kids that like if you shoot someone in the head, there's l- very little consequence. And uh, whereas with Pulp Fiction, like the accidental, like he's turning around in the car and he shoots the guy, <laughs> the... and it is like a uh it is a mess it is like right i mean the next half hour of the film is dedicated to them cleaning <laughs> up that mess right yeah. they have to call the wolf over i don't know why because then he just tells them that they have to clean it yeah like how would well, they not know the car he disposes of the body <laughs> yeah. right right he yeah, brings wolf, it to the wolf's, dump wolf's the cool guy with the plan and you, know? you need you need Kaitel in that movie yeah he's <laughs> there he's there because time is a pa- is a factor you know it's and he's cool. also there in all seriousness because he's a champion of tarantino like he he got reservoir dogs to happen like let's be serious without really Kaitel, that fucking movie never would have happened it was his idea to do all the casting in new york which is where they found tim roth yep yeah for sure it was mostly harvey Kaitel. i want to take this episode for a second completely off the fucking tracks and go least favorite least favorite Tarantino film and why? Uh, oh, Jackie Brown. Okay. Oh, wow. Damn. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, fuck you is right. <laughs> that is an unpopular opinion, sir, but let's hear why. Really? 
That's yeah. that's the unpopular one? Yeah, man. You got three guys here who it's either their first or second. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Three hot guys. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then the guy whose dad tells him to turn around at family photos. Uh, um, no, no. <laughs> Four hot uh, guys. Jackie Brown. Why? Uh, it's the slowest. I do. Here's the thing. I do. I do love Jackie Brown. But out of all of them, for me, that's the weakest. Because I like Death Proof because I love car chases and like fuck. That is one of the greatest car chase scenes going. Since you know? T two, yeah, yeah. Like it's fucking. That's incredible. And Glorious Bastards. Well, it had <laughs> that was a good comedy. And I liked how he how he got older. Like in Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and Django, he really started to. He upped his use of color in his films, and I like mm-hmm. that a lot. I just found that to go from Pulp Fiction into Jackie Brown. Pulp Fiction is this incredible movie, original screenplay, everything else, into Jackie Brown, which is based off a book. It's not something that's totally his. He's not as rooted to it and attached. Mm-hmm. And I think you could uh, see that a bit more than in all of his other works. It's the least one of him that is represented. Well, you know, it was made for $12 million bucks. Grossed seventy four point seven million dollars domestically, eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So you're fucking wrong. <laughs> but uh, uh, well, here. Well, you know that's that's okay. That's, I can know, definitely that's, see that's, that's why right. it's disappointing coming after Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like it's it's pretty. It's eighty six percent on Rotten Tomato, sixty four percent on Metacritic. But again, we talk about how that means nothing. To be honest, if you're on the high sixties, mm-hmm. it actually means you're probably getting more favorable yeah. reviews. I do, I do. Like, here's the thing: I do love Jackie Brown. I just feel that that is the that is the movie that, in my mind, says it doesn't say Quentin Tarantino as much as the other movies do. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. My, that's all I'm saying. My revenge against you, I don't Anthony East, for that it. choice. Uh, Kill Bill, um, the series, and 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 it's it's actually it goes back to something that that was said uh, earlier. Sorry, I forget which one of you guys said it. They, like you said it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's the type of movie that these people would be watching. Um, the rest of his movies are uh, real people in like these surreal situations whereas i feel like that's the one where yeah. it's like surreal people uh in in these these situations like it almost like a lot of it, it like a lot of the action is mm. just just way o- over the top like but he's um, still in that surrealist. era of despicable people yeah. which is nice and yeah and also but, keep also keep in mind i again i also because kill yeah. bill is like that's like you know that's up there for me and i found that that movie is also to be honest, it's his most diverse and it's his most challenging up until that point because it was the first movie yeah. where he actually did full-on action sequences. It's the first movie where he's actually encompassing a whole other type of culture with the kung fu into the western, mm-hmm. whereas the other ones are just straight-up crime drama films. He's yeah. got anime. Yeah. He's borrowing yes. from a lot he's of pushed, classic he pushed, tropes. Yeah, and that was the first movie where he did that on, what was it, like a $33 million budget? Was Kill Bill one, two, something like, and then that. a total. What both those movies got, grossed? Yeah, both one hundred eighty million dollars each. Yeah, yeah. And I What's mean, like, like I said, I mean, it's just really like I. I mean, and maybe it maybe it does come back to just what 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 like I've I've come to expect from him. like what I've what I watch a Tarantino movie for, and mm-hmm. and and I don't like I don't know. I, I mean, not and I, and again, not to say that I didn't re- really enjoy them. Yeah, I, I agree just, with you. I How's just don't not, like. Yeah. I just think if I were to sit down and you know I had to I had to leave one out uh, or I guess two, but <laughs> right that's the thing that's the <laughs> yeah. thing with Kill Bill. Then you're pulling out 
You're pulling two from his filmography. Yeah, yeah. Unless but, you can split them. I mean, yeah. most people prefer two. I prefer two. I prefer one. Oh. Yeah. Because well, <laughs> I love the, I love the uh, um, Oren Ishii fight sequence. I also like the departure because I, I, I think it's actually amazing how he departs into an anime sequence and no one fucking blinks an eye. Yeah, that's great. You know, and then he comes – and again, that fight sequence at the end is goddamn gorgeous mm. it's probably one of the best sword fight sequences that has happened oh, a long yeah. time just the close-up and you know we all know his foot fetish the thing he loves foot shots in mm-hmm. film and that that's a really cool take on that you know even it, it it's a completely different perspective than than the one that you see in pulp fiction with the wiggle your big toe and then when she gets out the crossed feet uh shot and so forth and uh, you you get like oren's slipper mm-hmm. and then the blood Mm-hmm. And like, there's just the you know, and you feel for Oren. So I, I I think I prefer one over two if I have to split them. I wanted to go back to something you said though, Devin. Um, uh, which, which you know is um <clears throat> the when we were talking about the when I jumped in on you and said the despicable characters thing. Um, I like that I'm not supposed to like any of the characters in his films. And why I can't subscribe to your thought process, East, <laughs> is because the only character pretty much up to this point that you can kind of say, well, she's shady, but she's not that shady, is Jackie Brown. You know, she's a flight attendant who's down on her luck and subsequently has made the choices that she's had to make to make a living. You know, she can't work for the big airlines and so she works, she likes the job, she likes the travel, so she stays with an airline that she can work with, and then also, um, you know, does these side mm-hmm. jobs, bringing shit in for for Samuel Jackson. Yeah. But that's where I would go to say, though. And also, De Niro's fucking amazing in that movie. He is. Yeah. <laughs> great, too. You know, and even Sam Jackson got all here in my Raptor bag, yeah. you know? Great <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a Raptor fan. We Dude, talked about yes, this. Yes, we did. Yeah, 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 yeah last yeah. week, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh but that's all and that's all great but those are all characters that he didn't even create he just kind of dealt with and built on his own or so like like he can create them like those were there he had to deal with the limitations of those characters you know you can say the same thing about the bride uh yes and Uh, and he also didn't fucking create um created with him by may Ah, true he didn't create the bride he didn't create pi may he didn't create like you know you can say he He actually didn't create that character yeah yeah (laughs) Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. True. One okay, could argue enough. that he didn't create uh, the Adolf Hitler character <laughs> in Inglorious Bastards. I don't know. Though. Yeah, oh. true. But no, Jackie Brown. So that guy's based the... on a real person? <laughs> I think. Some sort of counselor. No, nobody, nobody would have that mustache. But uh, yeah, Jackie Brown was originally. Yeah, I thought he was just um, like an evil Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> The novel, Rum Punch, it's all white characters doing white people things, so mm. he did change it to be more of a movie for black audiences. Yeah. So. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on that you said, Devin, is is the the execution is different in Kill Bill. Mm. Um, before I get to Danny, I'm sorry, Danny. Um, one thing that I like, for example, if you look at the, the vignette that he does in Four Rooms, right? Mm-hmm. And it's him and... Uh, they're in the room and and they're willis is in on that scene too right and tim roth is obviously the bellhop in that film and there's that whole sequence about cutting off the pinky finger you know and the the money and blah 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 and um just that long fucking discussion it's just getting tenser and tenser and tenser in this really you know it's no different than just us sitting around talking but somehow in in the way that tarantino writes and delivers 
he he builds these these long tense sequences out and then it's just like these two quick cuts boop, 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 cuts the finger ah and, and he's out of the room with the money <laughs> you know and and i see that in every single one of his films but i i can't maybe i'm wrong and correct me if i'm wrong but i can't remember a moment in in uh in kill bill where you have that same that same swell you know that same tense other than those like uh you know the siren and the the eyes locking and things like that which is a stylized thing more so than a like a tension you, 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 didn't, you didn't feel that tension when she was locked when she got buried alive no because it, it cut away because it cut away to her training if it didn't cut away then mm. then it's very possible Maybe the encounter right beforehand when Michael Madsen's waiting for her with a gun that fires, what, rock salt or something? Yeah, what rock salt, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Maybe there. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, it, you know, it, it, it seems anomalous in that situation. Like, I don't get the dialogue uh, that I get, or I don't get the, the the purposeful dialogue that I get in some of his other films, I feel like. I mean, the conversation at the very, very end. Yeah, like that's probably, Bill, yeah, that's in probably two, yeah, moment, yeah, right? with Carradine, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And 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 that again. I, so I stand corrected. Look, he he's defending you. <laughs> Are you guys he's, talking about the scene where the she five, kills him? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. Uh, that's the one example yeah. in those two fucking movies. But there was know. also supposed to be just one movie. Okay. In, in defense. Okay, so that's in, the, in that one fucking long movie. <laughs> yeah, four hours. Yeah, really. that, uh, that that's that one. That's watch. the one example that Devin can pull out on me, Danny. Least favorite? Least favorite um, and why? The newest, Django Unchained, um, yeah. because I didn't know that Sally Mank or Sally Mankey, I don't know how to pronounce it, his longtime editor was dead before she edited that film. Mm-hmm. Apparently she went to Walker Dog and just died of heat exposure. Oh, wow. Insane. But when I saw the movie, I was like, there's something wrong with this movie. And I yeah. don't know what it is. And I saw it again in the theater, and again, it didn't hit me as hard as the other ones. And I watched it two more times, and still, I don't like it as much as the others. And it has to be the editing. It doesn't flow anywhere near as good. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those people who loved Inglorious Bastards. I thought oh, it was yeah. his best movie in ten years, easily. Absolutely, yeah. Particularly the first scene in the French farmer's... Uh, that interrogation scene, uh, yeah. which yeah. is the best standalone scene in a movie since that true romance scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, I think. I, and Tarantino good, said really good yeah, he was a, trying to a, outdo that's that. That's a bold statement. Yeah, and then like he that. said he felt his whole career he was trying to outdo that Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper scene, and he finally did it mm-hmm. with that Christoph Waltz uh, interrogation scene. Yeah. But there's nothing like that in Jago. And I didn't think the villain was particularly frightening. You know, Calvin yeah. Candy, is it? But I did like DiCaprio in that role. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I think the only I think the acting was good. I think where yeah. it suffers is in the editing room. Like yeah, I think some more of that stuff should have ended up on the cutting room floor. Like the emotional. Right. One more thing: the emotional height of the movie for me is when he says, "I like the way you die, boy," and then he's running across a field, and that amazing song is playing, and it's just yeah. so great. But that, there's two more hours after that. Yeah, so it's already crested for me. I mm-hmm. I would agree with you on that one. I found that the uh, for sure that. Watching Django, you knew that you were like, ah, you're on to something on what you want to do with a Western, which is why, you know, for Hateful Eight, I'm just being like, this is going to be more or less really what he wants to do with his style of Western. Right. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't get his goal that he wanted to get across on that $100 million movie. Yeah, yeah. I do like the idea yeah. of a stagecoach traveling you know? across and then almost this throwback to uh, when I look at when I see the trailers, I, I almost feel like, do you, you, have you seen that episode of uh, Twilight Zone where there's the. Um, the five people that are snowed in at the like it's like a bus station, the restaurant or whatever. And it, I think he even said he he like 
watched that. Oh, you're sh- kidding. Episode. No, I swear to God. That's amazing. Was, Wait, was, what show is this? The Twilight Zone episode where it's like five people get off the bus and there's a sixth person in there and they're trying to figure out which one it is. And, and they allude to the fact that it's an alien. You know, mm-hmm. and and then of course you you figure it out right at the end, and it's so so fucking good. Yeah, and and like that's what it reminds me of. So I got really excited because I love the that's Twilight Zone. That, well, that's what like you know with Hateful Eight, it's similar sort of area. All these people, it's the, you know, it's the winter. I'll go into this one ca- cabin. Yeah, and somebody is a real fucking scumbag. Yeah, like, out of a room of scumbags. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I know he did a. Uh, Mention that Twilight Zone. Oh, that's cool. That's so cool. That's like a whole other level for me. Then yeah. I'm, I'm I'm even more excited now than I was because I just saw the similarity. But now that you know, I'm pretty sure it's on IMDb. That's where I read it last night. Even oh, you're kidding. You know, I, <laughs> See, I should have done some fucking research. <laughs> I'm a bit torn after you say that too because I really do think. I mean, the the one thing that I will say of it is is again like just real people in these sort of surreal, um, you know, so extremely bad situations that it does mm. keep consistent with with a, a lot of the rest of the pieces that you've done but it is a very um there it, it's um it doesn't follow any any kind of a um or i guess it it, it does but it doesn't feel like a real standard storytelling arc even even if we're we're going to do it non-linear even if we're going to mix up the the time it's it's just the the pacing of the movie is so. Um, We're talking about uh, Django. Django. Yeah. Django. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know what? You know what, yeah. it's, you know what it's like. The the pacing of that movie of Django, I found is very much like that had more pacing to an old school kung fu movie. Mm-hmm. Really, like especially like uh, you know Thirty Six Chambers mm-hmm. versus uh, the pacing of what Kill Bill was, which was really mm-hmm. like that was a western yeah. that that kind of really <laughs> brought in like samurai ideology, whereas Django is a samurai movie, which has brought <laughs> in a lot Western. of Western stuff. You know what I mean? Because of all the different villains that kind of come in and out and how the story moves. Yeah. It's like an old school classic kung fu movie where there is – it's about a person – it's about the main character's movement as opposed to like just a character, go get them, boom, done, and scene. Mm. It's funny, funny how those genres do overlap and borrow from, from one another so Absolutely. much too mm-hmm. and, and how, how he's, he, he has like picked up on that. Yeah, uh, he, well, he loves them so both well. yeah. a lot. Mm. And that, they're in pretty much all of his movies are references of all of that. You know? Okay, I'll do my favorite real quick or my least favorite rather real quick. Um, I have the same problems with Django than you, that you do but because you already said it, I'm going to go to my next least favorite um, which is Death Proof. As much as I love the second half of that film, mm-hmm. um, and as much as I understand everything that's going on in it, because I, I'm, I'm a proponent of Grindhouse Films, you guys all know that I've spent a lot of my life at the fucking drive-in. You know? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I, I understand what's going on in that film. I understand why it is the way it is. But I can't get over the fact that in... In our world today, it's very hard to, like, say, for example, especially now that it's out on, you know, DVD and Blu-ray, to take that film and pop it in and enjoy it. It's pretty much the, you know, you watch the scene with Rose McGowan and, and Kurt Russell at the beginning, and then you go and, you know, do some other shit, and then you come back for the car chase <laughs> sequence. It's, it's such pretty a good much, point, yeah. Because yeah, like, um, it's not just the lap dance or the talking at the bar. It's that Italian Vogue yeah. four minutes that takes up, like... I don't care about that magazine. Yeah. 
And I that's can't the, possibly care about I, that I think he, he, he was going through a stage where, of course, he's trying to balance the kind of, uh, you know, low-budget grindhouse film uh, concept that, that him and Rodriguez were going for. But at the same time, um, you know, I think at that point in his career, like you were talking about, you know, him coming back with Inglorious Bastards, um, he was a little bit too in love with with his dialogue and a little bit too in love with the exposition part of his dialogue as well. You know, just some fucking asshole explaining something that later is going to be important. You know, I think he also is a, like, you know, it's, there's a, there's a handful of moments in that movie where it almost feels like Tarantino walks in front of the screen or like pushes a character in front of the screen. They go, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. And uh, you know, it's, that's just not, that's not him. That's not why I love him. You know, I don't think platonically. He, I don't think he can work. Like I think when he and Quint, when um, you know, him and Rodriguez were doing Grindhouse, mm-hmm. he was very limited because you have to do, you can't do anything more than really an hour and twenty five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. All of his movies, as we know and love, are like two hours to two and a half hour. Like mm-hmm. you're in but that. Still, that fucking movie that he made could have been thirty five minutes. Yeah. Like in all seriousness. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's I think with him, it's either like. <laughs> But that's exactly it, though. I think with him, it's either like, it's either a real been an HBO special. It's, yeah, it's a really, it's going to be a really good tight half forty five. Yeah. Or it's going to be a really fucking awesome, uh, you know, two to two and a half hour film. Will you give him like restraints where it's like, okay, well, you got to do this. He's so because he, when you watch his movies, there's all these different ideas going yeah. through his head at one time mm-hmm. to bring all those ideas to even just make him like remotely interested into an hour and a half and even then you're gonna you know lost real bullshit me like that yeah what the fuck though the the one final point i'd like to make about grindhouse those two films these are the two most fucking expensive grindhouse quote-unquote films ever made (laughs) 53 million dollars for the pair of them the budget it's like i you know i i would have liked to have seen him make that fucking movie with a bunch of nobodies and do it legit um uh, and, and you know, not that I don't love seeing Kurt Russell in it, that I don't love seeing like you know Rose McGowan or Rosario Dawson or mm. um, uh, you know, uh, but I I much rather would have seen him do a legitimate like million bucks yeah. grindhouse film. I just which I realized like that couldn't pay for fucking catering nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why like I'd, I'd love to see that done. You know, it would have been great yeah. too if like not to take away from any of the actresses in the movie, but for Grindhouse, if it just said Kurt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a fucking Grindhouse movie. Yeah. That's like a, just Kurt Russell doing some shit. That's all, I, that's all I, I'm really paying for, let's be honest, in Grindhouse. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I'm, you know. That's it's, all I really Well, it's his see. most girl power movie, yeah. particularly with the ending. But, but that, that, that would have wicked... been even better if, if it was just Kurt Russell. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, even yeah. then, like, I, granted, all the girls still kicking Kurt Russell's ass. Everything totally, the same way. Totally same fucking movie. It. But yeah, just go back completely. If you're going to revisit these genres, you don't have to, like, do it everything the same way. Yeah. Budget super low. One fucking star that you apparently put out all the money for. <laughs> yeah. You like, made the actual movie for 50 bucks. Yeah. Like your Charles yeah. Bronson. You know, like, yeah. just bring him in. Yeah. Kill some shit, take him out. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't hold it against that movie. Um, I can't hold a lot of this stuff against that movie just because of the 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 singular purpose that it was made for and it's served. The car chase. You know, yeah. it, it really that's like yeah. it's so practical in an era where yeah. where that's just not done. Um, I mean, it, it, there's 
there is some some uh, visual effects done. Post, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of a lot of it was still done with just like um, two cars. Yeah, yeah, and and just like some like really banging up these these yeah. uh, these cars, really yeah. letting it letting it. And I love show. the idea of the car that's death proof. Yeah, like the lore of that. But is, you really is need to be sexy. sitting on my side. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, But like he's been making genre films his whole career. Yeah, right? yeah. So to make a genre film that is. Already another genre film, but like it has, to, he's stressing the format that it's being presented in is just a little too bizarre. Yeah, and yeah. it did affect the movie in a yeah. pretty negative way, particularly that middle section at the restaurant. Yeah, but yeah. that being said, even with my, my thought process of Django and and Death Proof being his worst, um, I'd still put them way higher than I would a lot of filmmakers. Oh yes, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. his worst movie is still better than most people's best movie, like yeah, Fairly yeah. yeah. Brothers or something. Because that because. You don't have. You don't wait, get wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Farley Brothers. You, you, I, I, well, I don't concur with that statement. They've no, had not... some, they've had some good ones. All right. Well, but in any case, uh, any final thoughts before we go to break? Because we're going to come back and we're going to nominate our film for essentially like the one that should be sh- like if you're going to show one Tarantino to your friends, your family, whatever it is, this is the one that you do it with. We're each going to nominate one and why, and tell you why. Any final thoughts before we do that, though? Yeah, what? I really like The Ringer. Ringer? Yeah, it was a Farley Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just a touch back on that. Okay, so I guess I guess no. <laughs> so we'll be right, uh, or we'll come back in a minute and, and, and do our thing with uh, our, our nominations for the film of Tarantino's to kind of live on. Yeah. If you have an idea for something you'd like to hear on the show, please email us at show at moviesruinmylife.com or reach out to us on Twitter. And however you're taking part in this episode, please don't forget to leave comments, share, reach out to us so we can keep the conversation going. All right, so we're back and uh, we're, we're going to go around the table. We're going to kind of nominate the film that uh, is, is the perfect conduit to introduce uh, to a new potential Tarantino fan. And uh, we kind of decided off air, and Devin's going to kick things off. Because I have the easiest job of everybody. (laughs) Uh, Pulp Fiction um, uh, is is just such a great introduction to to all of the different little stylistic uh, um, nuances of, of... uh, of Tarantino, I feel like from the way the dialogue is written, all of these characters are so, um, you know, so, um, so interesting. So you like, you're, you're, you're so drawn into, um, uh, you know, I, I, everything that these people are saying, like everything comes out right. Like when, uh, 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 when they, uh, first come in uh, to the room with the the group of guys um, who who have the case. It's just such a, a tense scene, and and um, you know everything that they're saying is so like uh, uh, so rehearsed because because you you find out that it is like he he totally like uh, you know memorized this uh, um, 
you know, this biblical uh, verse. Yeah. And, and Well, yeah, you know, he memorizes the Bible passage, but not that exchange between. Yeah. yeah like, like, do you know what this is? You know, these, these burgers are called in France. Yeah, and then he asked yeah. Vincent to say it for <laughs> yeah. Royal cheese. Yeah. <laughs> like, Royal with, like, coming cheese. From the- like, it, it, uh, it's, um, it's got a real feel of just like um, the way the way that you you hang out with your friends and things come up like yeah. something comes up in conversation and then it comes back up later like the, you know it gets re referenced like the Royale with cheese thing like um, uh, I could go for a Royale with cheese about now and and uh, fucking starving and uh, just uh, um, you know the the way uh, the the story jumps around. Um, you get to see so many angles of like the same situation. Um, so many of the things that are happening at the same time, so much of the, the reason why, um, uh, you know, so, so much of, of, uh, of the action of the movie is really taking place, but you get it revealed to you in, in such an odd, uh, interesting order. Mm -hmm. Um, it just, it keeps you so interested. You just, you want to find out, uh, all, all these little details and even, um, you know, even, uh, um, the things that, that don't get much screen time, you're still so, uh, so interested in like, uh, uh, Tim Roth and, and, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, holding up the, the restaurant and how that comes back in, um, mm-hmm. uh, later in the movie. Great final sequence. Um, yeah, yeah. But by the time it comes along, you've completely forgotten it ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. swept up in the rest of the action. Because it starts in that restaurant, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that Vincent Vega is also the commonality between the three vignettes mm-hmm. because he's um, he's obviously he's there to see uh, Jules's transformation. Mm-hmm. He's there to get fucking killed when the pop tarts come up. When mm-hmm. when uh, Bruce Willis <laughs> makes you know then turns around and makes the right choice by you know saving Marcellus Wallace and. And then uh, he gets to live, um, and he's obviously also there for for his kind of his main arc in the story, which is the um, the the exchanges that he has with Uma Thurman and um, that whole and, and brilliant part of the film. There's this perfect justice to it all that, um, yeah, like it's it's like punishment is doled out specifically to those that deserve it except for the guy that gets shot in the car mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the only kind of exception but just like um you know vincent vega he really he he is his life is off the rails and he's not trying to um to to fix it he's not trying to get better he doesn't he doesn't even he's not even really cognizant of how bad the things he's doing are mm-hmm. uh and and you know so so he he gets it um um Bruce Willis is so so principled. He he's in he's in such an awful situation. Yeah. But he's he's doing everything for the right reasons and yeah. so he he you know he gets uh he gets to live. Marcellus Wallace um is is merciful to to him given the the situation they've both gotten into. Yeah. And so he gets to live. Samuel L Jackson reforms. You know, he, he gets he, to he live. He gets to live. Like it's like um, and also, he grants um, another person a second opportunity in Tim Roth, like Honey Bunny, and uh, what's yeah. the um, what's the guy's name? I think he calls him Ringo. Ringo, yeah, Ringo and Honey Bunny. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, just that whole 
um, he he gives someone else a second chance, and 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 in that, you know, um, thus grant grants himself one kind of yeah by proxy. Yeah, like it's a very um, uh, very like karmically balanced uh, movie. I don't know. I just I, yeah, I no, really, I, really like. I that agree. Of, well, Bruce it. Willis did lose his L.A. privileges, though. He did. <laughs> <laughs> So he lost some. I know someone who hates that line because he says, you leave town tomorrow, tonight. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you've lost your L.A. privileges or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's some, you, you leave town tonight or today. He mm. contradicts himself. In the, in, but then again, he's had a bad afternoon. Marcellus. Yeah, he's just, he's just had a, you know, some not nice things happen to his, his So when he says he's going to call up cavity. some people to go to work on the homestead with a blowtorch, who's he calling? He can't call Travolta because Vincent Vega is dead in, at Bruce Willis' Yeah, apartment. but you're telling me but he, he doesn't, doesn't have any heavy yet. cats? Is, like, can he call Jules, though? Is Jules still in the no, fold? No, Jules this, is out of the fold. You know, after, right? Yeah, it's after. Yeah. Yeah. You know who he could call? Ghostbusters? The, the wolf. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The yes. Wolf. The, wolf would, the wolf would take care yeah, of him perfectly. I, I, I'm assuming that he has a, a much larger outfit. You know, because Vega's been in, you know, in Europe and... Um, you know, Jules is obviously on the outs now. He's he's doing kind of random odd jobs for him, right? So, but you've got you've got your you know your your toughs and and your, he alludes your to workers, who he's getting, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the guys that we've seen and and you know, um, yeah, had any kind of uh, experience with are the guys that he calls to to get something specific done. Yeah, whereas you've got to have some. General you know, contractors. Yeah. This guy He's not going to call just Paul the bartender, the yeah. who has yeah. one of my favorite lines in the entire movie, which is, "My name's Paul, and this is between y'all." Yeah. <laughs> and that's how he leaves the conversation. Yeah. I, 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 um, the, the, uh, the comedy in this movie, like, given all, all of like the dark subject matter, it's, it's still like, it's, it's kept so light, um, mm-hmm. by, by, uh. You know, by all of these just like perfectly placed moments, like um, the uh, um, when they get their suits covered in blood, and and then they've got to change into these ridiculous outfits, like like these yeah. shorts and t shirts. And I think the wolf comes in and is, is just like make some comment about it. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you look like a like, couple of dorks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he no, no. Tarantino specific. makes the line. Yeah, you look like a couple of, and then. Tarantino goes dorks, <laughs> right? And yeah. even just bef- when they're cleaning themselves in the bathroom, and uh, Vincent makes the washcloth the, the look towel. like a maxi yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think Brady, you pointed this out to me. That segment or that vignette's called the Bonnie situation. Right? Yeah, the Bonnie situation. And they say yeah. the word situation a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Marcellus says they it. Re- they refer to it as the Bonnie situation. Right. Uh, Samuel Jackson said, you know, it's stuff like this is going to bring this situation Wait, to, to a head. head. Yeah. Like, well, that, of course, that's a tense situation. Yeah. Everybody says that word, I think. <laughs> yeah. At least once. I, I think, uh, like, one of my favorite little, like, uh, comedic, um, just like perfectly timed moments is is when Samuel L. Jackson gets his wallet back at the very end. Yeah. And it's just like, like, it's just so. Which one is it? Yeah. It's the one that says "bad motherfucker" on it. Like you know, Tarantino just saw this wallet somewhere and was like, "We need one of these." Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. He's got to have a wallet that says "bad motherfucker." On yeah, it. Like, he saw a wallet that said something, and he's like, "We got to do this." And it and it's you know and and that's that's um it, it's the same. Uh, like it's almost it, it's that little bit of Tarantino in Jules that he's walking by his stand and sees like bad motherfucker wallet. 
Mm-hmm. I'll take one of those. <laughs> he, he, I'm a bad motherfucker. He also has a, a Jesus selling drugs, you know, who also brings a person back to life. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, there's a black I, medical book. I completely forgot about that guy. Yeah. The other... Uh, yeah, the dealer. Um, the other commonality between yours and the one that I, I want to um, pick out is both... Um, the director and producer make appearances. I believe Lawrence Bender also makes an appearance in Pulp Fiction, correct? I can't think of what the hell it is off the top of my head, but I'm almost positive. And that team is, you know, it's another, again, it's one of those things like Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier, like there's just some kind of synergy. Like when they worked together, it was, it was beautiful, you know, and they did what they did to the best that they could do it. And it's the same thing when you see, um, you know, these two, working together it's like as soon as you see one of them go off like Lawrence Bender I think he he did a couple acting roles right like he's one of the cops in Reservoir Dogs which I'm nominating and we'll do so in a moment um but yeah it's it's so interesting and we didn't even talk about him but just the way that you know Tarantino visualizes these things these things and and Bender's like okay well we got to get it done mm-hmm. and and makes it happen for him you know and there's something really really fucking cool about that and you know it's it's great to have someone like that on your side you know whether again like we're musicians to to know that you have people that you can go to and bring a crazy idea and they're going to bring it back to to reality or what have you it's so so good you know keeps your head on your shoulders um may i uh yeah absolutely absolutely okay so i'm up next and and as i already said i'm i'm nominating reservoir dogs and the reason I'm I'm doing this is it's not necessarily my favorite, um, but I I think it holds true to today that it is, if not his most important work, one of his most important works. Um, I hate the term outside of the box thinking, <laughs> but this this fucker comes out of the bo- uh, out of out of the gate with a film that's a heist movie that doesn't show the goddamn heist. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, he he set the stage for um, um, a common practice of of playing with the chronology as a as a tool for tension. Not that it hadn't been done before, but there's no doubt that a lot of the films that followed thereafter were borrowing from his you know his works. Um, <clears throat> the other interesting thing about this movie is is much like you were saying with Pulp Fiction, there is a karmic balance that happens with this film, and basically, it's everyone that goes not not just everyone that goes off the tracks, but that everyone with a motive, every everyone involved in this heist, whether you're a cop, whether you're you know uh, a criminal, you're all gonna fucking die. You know, and some of these guys were on their way out and they just wanted to do one last job. Some of these guys are trying to, you know, bring down a, uh, you know, a a mob boss. Some of these guys are just, you know, good soldiers to this mob boss. Chris Penn is amazing in this film. Oh, yeah. He 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 is casting decisions uh, all all time. Yeah. Yeah. It says says one of my favorite lines in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) What this cop shoots the cop? Yeah, <laughs> that was a, but that doesn't necessarily make it fucking so. Yeah, <laughs> and the whole uh, the whole thing with uh, the the exchange in the car, and I can't think of the girl's name that he's talking about uh, from the club that uh, that goes off and like kills her boyfriend. 
like takes a beating from him and then yeah like that's really cool but um yeah it, it's the beginning of of this of the style that you saw with Tarantino obviously people have have copied that that um that slow motion walk the the black suits and sunglasses you know um the smart talking the sm- yeah exactly everything guy rich has done basically yeah mm-hmm. um and it's it, it it's a trendsetter in so many ways the music the idea of um, a subcontextual narrative in the form of a radio DJ, um, the the reveals and how they're they're um, delegated out in the timeline, like in a less capable filmmaker's hands, or more so, I guess at that point, a less capable writer's hands. The reveal, I'm a cop. That would have been the end, not the fucking middle. But this guy delivers you that in the middle and manages to keep that movie riveting for another half hour, mm-hmm. you know, or more. By showing you his training as a cop. Yeah. Not, not the actual line of a cop. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, the he, he shows the emotional connection between two people that are thrust into a situation together that have no commonality. They don't know each other's names. They don't know anything much in the way that, for example, if you come on a panel here and you're talking to someone that you've never met before, you know, which I know doesn't happen very often, but you know, for example, you were on a panel for the back to future with Brent, you had never met Brent before and you get thrust in the situation. We have some laughs and we have a good time. Um, and you're making the best of a bad situation. There's that emotional pull, uh, in the film. There's, um, there's Keitel in a role that I don't think he had been that good since maybe Taxi Driver, in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Um, there's, uh, you know, like I already said, uh, Chris Penn is, is fucking amazing. And he's, you know, him not being around is a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tim Roth in one of his best performances. Although that's my one problem with the entire movie. I, I think it, it's a is perfect his movie. Yeah, his American accent yeah. is flawed. It is. It just is. Yeah, given but certain it, vowels, he's off. And I'm sure yeah. given a couple years, he wouldn't have done that. Which I do like. Um, I do like when he's he's yelling or losing it. Um, and, and the accent goes, it gives a, a human element and it, it's almost like a breakup the same way as again, when we get excited in here and all of a sudden you get a, th- where there should be a st or something like that. Um, it, uh, there, there, that's, a, it, it, Tarantino again is able to, and uh, you know, and his team is able to work with it and edit it and make it really clean. Uh, the, the tempo is breakneck more so than a lot of his films that depend on those slow builds while still delivering that kind of dialogue that gets more and more and more and more tense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you have an emotional connection to these characters that have minimal screen time, um, which is so important. Like you literally, the only time that you ever see Mr. Brown alive, which I realize is Tarantino, but it is uh, is the scene where he and he's the getaway driver, you know, is the scene in the restaurant where he's talking about, you know, Madonna uh, and, and like a virgin. And then and you still feel the effects when he smashes into the uh, or crashes the car and, and he's all fucked up and they have to take off, you know. And also the uh, the way that he plays out the I'm a cop sequence where there's the whole emotional change when you go back to it because that's right where when he gets shot tim roth gets shot that's where you get the flashback i'm a cop so when he come you come back to that moment it's even heavier because not only has this woman defended herself and he pulled a gun on her this cop pulls a gun on her now you know he's a cop and he's been shot so you know he's 
for momentarily to keep his cover. He strayed from the path, and 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 subsequently he's paid the price. You know, um, because and and shit's gone awry. Obviously, the legendary sequence with Michael Madsen doesn't have to be stated. Um, it's it's just. There's so many things in that film that you can latch on to no matter what kind of audience or you know audience member you are whether you're a passive one whether you're you're enthralled in the plot whether you're fixated on someone like a Kaitel who's an absolutely lovable character in the film um you know it, there's there's so many things and and then when you find out that one this film was made for just over a million bucks and two so it grows 22 times the amount that it fucking uh, was was made for and uh, you know it uh and it's his first for uh like first go around as a as a director um it's it's startling because it's like like we said in the last segment <laughs> there's there's directors who will never make a movie with such a simple concept that is half as fucking good mm-hmm. you know he doesn't get he doesn't get lost in bullshit exposition. He doesn't get lost in uh, treating the audiences that he has to carry them along. Instead, he does the exact opposite and, and just has characters fucking ramble and he has the pace go at an unbelievable rate, um, you know, and, and he, he, he captures some of the best performances in these actors' careers. And he, he does that again and again. And I realize you can say that part of him about every film. Um, but much in the way of a Spielberg or a Paul Thomas Anderson or some of these guys who are very, very much elevating actors' performances in a lot of cases, um, he's one of the best ever at it. And this is the first, uh, you know, first go around for him at at doing that. When you yeah. can bring back a Keitel, uh, you know, to to his his peak like that. When you can, uh, you know. <sighs> It's, it was the first of his reclamation projects, right? Cattell yeah. in Reservoir Dogs, Travolta in Pulp Fiction, Robert Ford, exactly. Jackie Brown. But also, yeah, Chris Penn. Yeah, exactly. And, it, it, you know, just everything about this film um, is is the one that you have to show to people first. I'm sorry it is. It's like showing the first Star Wars first or the, the you know, the 89 Batman. You know, it's that's that's it, you know. That's I, the one. I, I can't think of a single movie beforehand. You said, like, um the whole... um. Uh, Guy Ritchie thing of of these smart talking gangsters, but I think it's it's almost more even just like regular talking gangsters. Like I can't, yeah, just shooting the shit. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of an example before Reservoir Dogs of a movie where where like the you know the gangster or or whatever um, was having a conversation that that um, that sort of jumped between these these you know these these crimes they commit. And just these such basic regular like, human life, yeah, like tipping. Like, yeah, they're mm-hmm. talking about tipping. Like what? Like yeah. When when have you ever seen that before? I mean, it's always either um, you know these talking about their plans, their plots, and stuff like that, or they're talking about um, you know their their like life of excess or or something like that. Like there's never been like a such a mundane conversation between such like yeah. sort of extreme Toby people. Wong. Toby Wong, Toby Wong, <laughs> fucking Charlie Chen, or whatever the line. You know, <laughs> I got Charlie fucking, Chen. I got fucking dicks on this side, or, you know, and I got <laughs> fucking Toby Wong over here. And then he says something. He goes, "Hardy fucking heart." <laughs> yeah, and the whole exchange with the tips, like the thing, the movie is is ingrained into our culture. One of the things about that tip, that 
uh, I've read and some people picked up on, and it might be overreading, it might be bullshit, but he, he Steve Buscemi's character, uh, Mr. Pink, right? He's yeah. complaining about tips. Now, society deems some jobs tip-worthy and others not. You just get the impression that he's kind of cheap. Yeah. Then when he's being chased and he gets... Uh, he gets the car. He's yeah. extremely liberal with his bullets. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just keeps shooting. Yeah. He won't stop. It's yeah. one of the most thrilling parts of the movie because the camera's moving up. As, and the yeah, bullet, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very loud gun mm-hmm. uh, in contrast to those 80s guns that kind of go, you know. Yeah, I wonder about that shot. Is that like – is that a – because it's it's not a uh, – definitely not a fucking crane shot. Is that like a dolly shot it or is like some with a steady cam? A rolling rack or something. Yeah, like probably, probably like a dolly or – like I don't think it's a tracking Might shot. Either. It might have been classic Steadicam. Yeah, it might be, might have been Steadicam. Because there are a few guys like uh, – I know the running is yeah, for sure. Like that scene in Goodfellas when they're going down into the steps and stuff like that. That yeah. was classic Steadicam where it's, it's a guy holding yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it could have just been that. Maybe. Knowing the budget that they were on, it was – wouldn't be surprised if it was just the a whole guy fuck, yeah, just well. fucking going with them and hoping to God. Yeah. You know? Well, in any right. case – um, now that I've dominated the conversation for the last like 10, 15 minutes, let's take a little break and then we're going to come back and get East and Danny's nominations for uh, new viewers to Tarantino, their introduction to his masterful work. I just want to remind everyone to visit our website, moviesruinmylife.com. We're just getting started with all of this, so send us your ideas. What do you want to hear on the show? What do you want to see on our site? Get in touch with us. Tell us what you think. Tell us off. Whatever. MoviesRuinMyLife.com, that's where you're going to find us. All right, and we're back. And, East, what's your nomination, my friend? All right, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to say Kill Bill, Volume 1. And we are allowing... We're going to allow two, both of them if you want, because we kind of got into it a little bit about uh, this. I think we're are, are we all in consensus because we kind of talked about it that we should allow yeah. them both. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, it's um. Well, regardless, uh, you're still going with one. Well, I can. I'll do both. It yeah. doesn't matter because it's a collective work. Because the point is, even with one and two or the kill bill, whatever else, the reason why I would give that to somebody to kick it off is because that was the beginning of where he was going with his career, and it capped off where he started his career. And what I what I mean by that is, you know, you have before Kill Bill, which is number four in his series, you have you know Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. And where he went with his filmmaking after Kill Bill is, you know, he did so he did Kill Bill, which is like a kung fu western. They need a war movie, which is another homage. Oh, yeah, death Proof first. Sorry, oh yeah, sorry, Death Proof, which is another. It's still like a hats off to Grindhouse films. Then he did hats off to war movies, and then he did another hats off to westerns again. And it was the beginning of that trend of I'm going to tackle classic kind of filmmaking with like a modern mm-hmm. touch, especially his touch. Um, given that. It's also his first movie where he really pushes color and color balances. And you can see that in in everything from the harsh blue of her jumpsuit to the harsh view like of the uh, of the wagon that she drives, you know, the pussy wagon as we'll call it. <laughs> harsh blue? So sorry, harsh yellow okay. of the patio of the of the pussy wagon. They're very oh, hard. Well, but I mean her suit. When did she get the blue suit? The yellow suit. I meant yellow. Oh, okay. Replace blue with yellow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know what I mean? These are very hard colors. In that battle scene when they're, you know, when they're when she's taking everyone out, which is the first time he's ever really done a high octane action scene mm. in his career, which he begins to do in, you know, he does another hardcore shootout in Django, and there's a bunch of fucking hardcore killings that happen in yeah. 
Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Oh, this is his scene is just Yeah, this is the first time where you really get to see a dramatic crime actor yeah. do an action scene better than any action director even to fucking date, yeah. you know? And it's people are getting chopped off, they're losing limbs, there's that wicked silhouette scene. It's a, it's a live action anime with how this color scene is laid out. And why I would present that to somebody is not only are you getting the taste of the classic Quentin Tarantino dialogue and the monologues and everything that encompasses all these characters, you're getting the hats off to where, like, all the classic cinema that he loved, which he put in all those previous movies, as well as it is the movie that, you know, was the tentpole of where he went mm-hmm. with his career later, yeah. going, like, later on. Uh, and, that's, and that's the thing with Kill Bill. You know what I mean? Not to mention as well, you have Sonny Chiba. Who, if yeah. you guys out there don't know, yeah. is the fucking kung fu master who plays Hanzo, the guy that builds, you know, all these swords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's actually yeah, Hattori Hanzo is uh, what? What's the name of the TV show? I can't remember, but it was it went four right, seasons, yeah. and in different seasons, Sonny Chiba played Hanzo like in different Descendants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that character is supposed to be one of the Descendants from that TV show that he just loved. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and that's why I think Kill Bill, well, I would bring it to somebody, because you're not getting that heavy push of the classic Quentin Tarantino dialogue, but you're still getting that heavy style, mm-hmm. and you're still getting that classic pacing. And also, if you're like, well, I didn't like his older stuff, but I do like his new stuff, which, as being Quentin Tarantino fans, is batshit crazy, and I would never want to hang out with that person. <laughs> but, you know, you can start from Kill Bill number four, and then go up to number, you know, what are we at now, eight with... Uh, I think, he's, I think he's at nine, isn't he? Nine. Sorry, nine. Yeah, this will be number nine. Nine if you count the Kill Bills separately. Yeah. Yes. But I do agree that it, it, it is one big film. Began so I guess a eight, new phase yeah. in his career. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what really... And, and, and the other thing is, too, he did do that one vignette in four rooms. So I count that. I would say that this is nine, you know. like And he also, he directed half of uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. We mm-hmm. talked about that already. Um, so, you know, so... And if you count True Romance in there, this fucking guy just never stops working. Yeah. And um, but like with Kill Bill as well, fuck. I had a point. I'm sorry. It's okay, man. Don't <laughs> worry about it, man. Uh, fuck. You ended on the like this is number eight, so number four, number eight, carrying forward. Yeah, yeah, got that, man. Does anybody want to throw in and question me on some of the shit? Because I fucking really stuck. Well, it. well, I I am curious on the um, you know, uh, one thing that that this film does kind of in a long form way is very much similar to what um what Devin talked about with Jules in in Pulp Fiction which is this kind of long version of the character redemption you know she's mm-hmm. and and even in that you know she's still doing wrong all the way through the film Absolutely. but at the same time she's kind of writing wrongs at the mm-hmm. same point like writing injustices but to me like for example I'm a I am I'm a huge lover of the crow we've talked about this before mm-hmm. I knew from the opening of that film. Now, mind you, of course, I had the the uh, you know the comics at my disposal with that, but still, I knew in the opening of that film that, of course, Eric has to he can't continue on. You know, now I know their original intention was to do that until Brandon Lee passed away, but the ending the way it is is right. You know, and and it's the same way with Terminator Two, where he has to die. You know, and of course, now if you kill her, if you kill the bride, then you don't have um someone to take care of the child obviously mm-hmm. uh, like bb but um uh you know I, 
I don't know. I, I feel like as much as much as he she is doing right by all these people that you know have mm-hmm. subsequently wronged her and wronged other people, um, she she gets off somewhat scot free. You know, it's implied that perhaps someone could come back and kill her later. Yeah. Which almost I'd like to see. The, well, the, just to conclude that series. The very well, that's what's really what's also really great about Kill Bill, um, is that this is the first time Tarantino, and pretty much the only time in his career where he actually tackled the topic of honor. Yeah, and but that's he left really what that movie gray. is. You know, I think he did tackle the, the the subject matter of honor in all of these films because he used these despicable characters, and the ones that survive are the ones that take the righteous path. Bruce Willis and Pulp Fiction, I think. yeah, yeah, Bruce, honorable character. Jules, yeah. um, you know, um, no one makes it out of Reservoir Dogs, you know, uh, and I think that, but I <laughs> Jackie makes it out, in yeah. you know, in the end. So, of, but to even to know. go on with like the Kill Bill, though, like, yeah, they very well could make it a sequel because you know she kills they a have fox to. if they resolve it, of the then daughter. I have no problem with the. With those movies anymore, yeah. but that is my one thing—the one thing that just fucking bothers me. Like I lose sleep over it. If I watch those movies and I try and go to bed, it's like fuck, man. Like that's the one time that Tarantino has left things morally gray mm-hmm. at the conclusion of a film. And I'm sorry, I'm totally deflating your argument, but it's strengthening mine. So fuck you. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> fuck. I think it's like a, <laughs> it's all I, when I think, you end it with a fuck you, you can't say shit. It's, it's also one of the first examples of a movie that really does um, follow up one person's um, yeah. kind, kind of uh, like you. You're seeing this movie. Um, it's traditional the whole way through um, with and and kind of as Uma Thurman, whereas. I mean, he. If you look at the movies that came before that, yeah, Reservoir a lot of opinions. Dogs could be could be alternately um, Harvey Keitel or, or Roth, or Roth, and even really Madsen a little bit because it yeah, does that little backstory that doesn't involve one another hmm. separately, right? Yeah. Um, right, we see and, Madsen and Chris Penn fighting yeah, yeah. in the office. There's no clear uh, lead, male lead. Yeah, yeah which and is then Pulp Fiction again, like so, you, you definite, know, definite uh, vignettes. Yeah, d- really difficult to say whether the movie is about like Jules or or Vince Vega or um, shit, Marcellus Wallace, maybe. Bruce Willis as yeah, well. Yeah, which Bruce is Willis, why really. if you were going to introduce somebody to the world of Quentin Tarantino, it might be easy on Kill Bill because it's a one yeah. central. Yeah, except for that, again, you're introducing them to him on a film that basically takes these despicable characters and leaves one alive. So it it gives you – because you haven't got the context Uh, of all of of his films before that are morally strong – Leading up to that point, that's the first film, like I said, that leaves a moral gray, and it fucking bothers me because he, he – well, it doesn't bother me as a film. I love the films, but it bothers me as an introductory piece because there you don't get the context of morality in this universe or even in this all, you know film universe within their world. It's it's the one standout for me. Like Hitler fucking dies in Inglorious Bastards <laughs> and all the guys – and like most of the bastards die, you know? Uh, even Fassbender fucking dies, and that guy's charming as shit. You know, <laughs> like Chris Waltz. I mean, I mean, he 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 died. Or no, he, 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 he sorry, lives, he but he's got to he live lives, out his life as a fucking so Nazi. It's, so it's debate. I mean, no, that guy's got a worse alive, fate in a lot of ways because he's got to live through his life <laughs> yeah. with this fucking scar. You know, because at that time in that era, you wouldn't have that technology to to 
do a skin graph. Yeah. But I, I just feel as though there's that – like all of those people that she's killed are still out there. Like – or they're not out there. They're in the ground but or whatever. But their families and people have been affected by her just flying around the world killing people and shit because she was in love. You know – it, it, it wasn't because she was in love. Yeah, was she because... was in love with Bill, and that's what got her. Like, I know she already knew martial arts, and she was already going down the wrong. They took path. her. They, she took all of them out because they fucking brutally killed her and all of her family. Yeah, but how she how she got into how, how she got into uh, being an assassin was because uh, of her relationship with Bill. She, you know, she was falling for Bill, and you see those scenes in the second one, the, right. the warm scenes and all of that thing. It's just that's my one problem. I need to hear why it's okay. Because for me, all of those people, if you show that film first, all of those people would say, you know, um, he's he's morally wrong, he's obscene, he's this, he's that. Without the context of the films that precede it, they're fucking right. You know, with that movie, they're right. You know, but but with with any other, with any of his other films, you know, it's the the righteous path, or or at least. Um, the right decision at the right time, making the right taking the right exit off that that highway, is going to keep you alive, and you know it, it, that that means something to me because it validates all of this grotesque and 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 horrific, you know, uh, and and also the ridiculous characters that are just sinister in nature but are also lovable. You know, it makes all of these things okay. Where in that world. Because the bride survives, like that's why they almost have to make three or a short, like maybe a comic or something like they did with Django or something, where she can fucking die, because she has to. She has to die. Oh, for sure. If the Terminator has to to fucking die, and I have to cry my fucking eight year old eyes out, then this (laughs) this chick has to die. Like I love the bride, but she's got to go, man. I I I don't disagree with that. This is also the hard thing when somebody else already picks fucking Pulp Fiction. (laughs) In conclusion, uh, I was schooled. <laughs> I mean, Danny, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but I think I, I think it is an example of of Tarantino doing doing a movie that is, um, however unconventional yeah. it is, it it's keep in more mind conventional yeah. in the, in the way it's a and, beautiful and, film. And, and also keep in mind if Tarantino's I'm work. if I'm introducing someone to Quentin Tarantino, they don't fucking know shit about whatever the fuck we're talking about because they don't no, know. But movies. they're going to see that and they're going to see. They're like, not going to. I, I highly see violence. That's that, they may not notice. Is, they they may they, they yeah, may yeah, not notice. But if, the thing is, if you know, if they then are like, well, I really like Tarantino, and then they they read up on him and they read, you know. Like a lot of harsh critics out there saying all these fucking things because when you get into Tarantino, you sink your teeth and you go full force yeah. into it. And it's the only thing is that there's no redemption for, for those that she's wronged you know, in Very that universe. True. Very true. But it's, also- but it's okay if you've seen all of his other films because you know, to a certain extent, like as a, as a standalone piece, it's not okay. If he had just made that one film, then, then that film is all of the things these people are saying are wrong. With his films, if if it's part of his collective work, then it's fucking perfect. I don't know. Yeah, I just you don't want to when you're introducing people as well. I also don't want to blow their wad and be like, "Here's his best movie," and then like after that, everything else is like meh. Which it's is, like, which is why I went with Reservoir Dogs yeah. because I also don't think it's his best movie. Yeah, which is why with Kill Bill, it's like you get a little bit of everything. Yeah, and like where he's where he went, where he started from. It's a lot of great action, and it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, no, it's a valid point. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's not a bad movie to, no, to come so into. It's it's a fun movie, 
Absolutely, yeah. and it's beautiful, like you said. The colors are yeah, that's vibrant, and, and, that's and also everything's so tactile. Yeah, you know, it's like I almost wish Tim Burton pulled a Quentin Tarantino and actually yeah. did the fucking movies that he really, really wanted to do. Yeah. Again, instead of just having Johnny Depp bang his like ex-wife all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He he has an awesome use of color from Beetlejuice up until even like that one little short scene in fucking Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I was you just going to say Sweeney Which is Todd, why yeah. Big Fish, you know, and Big Eyes are a lot of color. Yeah. Very great, very vibrant. Vibrant. Some, vibrant, sorry. Some You're getting his, angry. I'm so sorry, sorry. I made you upset. Some of his best work. Um, and, you know, with Quentin Tarantino, he really took advantage of that, the solid blue suit that, you know, Django's wearing and Django yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's, there's a she blue likes, suit She likes prime, or he likes primary colors, which is like the mark of a hero, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of situations, which is cool. Which, yeah. You know, like Superman, like even Batman in the black, I know it's a shade, but again, like they don't, it's not like you don't see too many superheroes in mauve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maroon. That'd be wicked, eh? Yeah. Yeah, Danny. All right, Danny. Okay, so I guess just as a segue to uh, the movie that I'm uh, defending, or or uh, Jackie Brown, I'll, I just wanted to talk about Kill Bill for a second. Uh, there's a part in I think it's Kill Bill Two where Michael Madsen's character parks um, really far away from a building, and I never understood why he did that. And then Strip you realize club. he's yeah he's an employee there. Yeah. That's employee parking, right? It's always far away, so the patrons can. Can park closer, and uh, you know it cuts to his boss who was doing cocaine with a stripper, and he says to the stripper, "Come on, baby, be somebody," <laughs> which is the saddest thing you could possibly say to someone, right? So then that's where he loses like like a what is it a week a week's worth of hours because he yeah. won't take he keeps wearing the stupid hat yeah 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 and his boss takes the hours off the calendar and says I'll call you and then yeah. he walks out to the front and one of the waitresses says you know. The toilet overflowed, and there's shitty water all over the floor. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I guess I'll have to go clean it up. Mm-hmm. That's really, really depressing. To go yeah. from an international assassin to a guy like this living in a trailer. It said he pawned his sword for 250 But he but- didn't. It was in the closet. Yeah. So he was lying? Yeah, he was yeah. lying. He was lying that, to Bill? Because oh, you remember he pulled, yes. she pulls yeah, out the yeah. sword and reads the, in, the inscription on it. Okay, yeah. he yeah. lied. He lied. Sorry. One thing I do want to say about Kill Bill that I absolutely love and might be an interesting thing to if – you, if you were introducing – Tarantino into a, uh, or rather to a, you know, a, a blossoming cinephile mm-hmm. would be um, the fact, that, like the recycled characters, mm-hmm. um, and again, like the one kind of hole in your, um, or no, not even, it's it's perfectly fine, um, is the recycling of the sheriff from from dusk till dawn, and then yeah. he's again, he's the pimp in number two, um, you know, the uh, the music. Um, the 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 vast mix of um, you know like Robert Rodriguez like everything in fucking A minor mm-hmm. <laughs> and not to mention like uh, and and then and then like the RZA which mm-hmm. I love the RZA's music and he he like I remember seeing the press for um uh uh for the second one and being mm-hmm. like oh if I get to work with Robert Rodriguez again it's like fuck you man like the RZA's all of his music is what makes those films mm-hmm. like all of his work is what makes those films absolutely. Rodriguez adds a lot of emotion to it, but you know, just just all of the great like uh, throwback stuff, like the seventies vibes, the 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 siren uh, mm-hmm. stuff, like every, all of those moments are like the it's like some of the best stuff that the Riz has done since like early Wu Tang mm-hmm. in all seriousness. But even but even then, it's like a lot of that was stuff that Quentin Tarantino 
just ripped off his shit that he loved. Like that's yeah, like, no, that, he totally just yeah. showed it to him. But the Rizzo gave him exactly what he wanted. Then you oh, could yeah. go like, oh yeah, I like working with Rob Because you know the weird because fucking... the two of them yeah. were just at opposite. They're buddies. Yeah, but they were at opposite areas of the movie theater. Like when the Wu Tang and Rizzo would go and like watch old school kung fu movies in the yeah, theater. Yeah, yeah. Quentin Tarantino was like that guy just t rose back, just like laughing mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. So when it came to them like being like, hey Rizzo, you know I really want to make this movie. I need this sort of music. He was like. Well, I got yeah. you. and I'm not, and I'm not saying that like he doesn't love the RZA. Like, obviously, he produced uh, the man with the Iron, Iron Fist. Fist, one and two, one and two. Yeah, uh, you know, so you know, it's clear that they have a great working relationship. I'm just, I always found it odd that I never, I never saw in like any of the press just the love for for the RZA stuff in that in those films um, that I thought was. It deserved because the music in in, in those films is fucking beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and in, in that regard, like there's so many elements that if you were introducing it to someone who is just falling in love with film and is like addicted oh, yeah. to everything oh, yeah. that they can get their hands on, if, then that that is an absolutely beautiful sure. piece to introduce them to because there's so much to offer there. There's also the end of one, which is also. Like the end of Kill Bill One, if you were just going to show that one, let's just oh, say, so good, so beautiful, is, like is, aesthetically, god damn. Well, that and just when when Darren, when you know, when Bill is just like, did you tell her that her daughter is still alive? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's just like you're straight up sitting there in the theater. You're like, what the fuck? So you imagine showing somebody that like for the first time, you're introducing them to yeah. Quentin Tarantino, and it's just like, <gasps> and I love how they break the fourth wall with just like they don't try and not say her name. They just say her name and put a fucking beep there, like it's a cuss word. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like no, we said it. It's there, <laughs> but fuck you. You gotta wait. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like breaking a rule of cinema, but they don't care, and it works amazing. I don't think. He really cares. For, he's like the most no, punk he, rock he, he, director. Yeah, yeah. He's you know the greatest rule breaking in Kill Bill is the dark when she's in the coffin and you can hear all the goings on outside. Yeah, that's really claustrophobic. But it's fucking terrifying. It yeah. is. It's really and, claustrophobic. And it, did you see that in the, in the theater? Yeah. Oh god damn! Yeah, it was so good in the theater, it, it right? I, uh, really? Oh my god! Affecting. Like it's yeah. one of the few times in uh, going to the movies where I actually had to get up and go to the because I get claustrophobic. Yeah, um, and I have a I have a thing with heights, so I uh, I saw that scene. That's when I was like, so did you okay. see the walk? No, I couldn't. I I uh, I had to close my eyes during the trailer when they did the whole scene when it goes down. Yeah, and you see, oh fuck, I'm I'm real bad. Mm. Wow, I'm, I'm real bad. Yeah. But uh, that scene, though, when she's in the coffin, mm-hmm. messed me right up. I had to leave. It's for tough bit. to do, yeah. Because then, then when she breaks it and then you see all the dirt coming down, that's... Ugh, yeah. Oh, There's I a know. similar situation in Jubble, Double Jeopardy with Ashley Judge. Yeah, she yeah, gets yeah, locked yeah, in a yeah. coffin. Uh, I remember that. used that. to give me nightmares. Uh, with uh, a, de- a dead body. Yeah. Right? She's not alone in that coffin. That was yeah. a great movie, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, not great. a good movie, but uh, okay. Sorry, might be the a little good bit of movie, an The Descent, it's an enjoyable the movie. Descent. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I could not handle that. That's I I literally like I stopped breathing myself when they're like, like yeah, trying man. to crawl through these, these films on spelunking. Not for this guy. No, no. way. No way. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So let's 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 go let's, into Danny Ben. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Okay. So it's, yeah, I've picked Jackie Brown and. I wanted to use that segue with Kill Bill, Michael Madsen's character being, you know, he loses about a week of work just to sh- <laughs> I mean, Jackie Brown is the movie I would show somebody for the first time, I suppose, but, like, it's really an outlier in his catalog, right? Mm-hmm. It's easily the most muted. It's easily his most uh, somber. I think it's his saddest movie. It's a movie about, like, the struggles of being an adult 
Uh, Samuel Jackson concurs. He says it's it's a movie about adults, whereas the guys in Reservoir Dogs are just kind of boys, yeah, demented mm-hmm. gangster boys. Same with Pulp Fiction, but Jackie Brown features well-rounded adult characters, particularly Max Jerry, yeah, who might be Tarantino's most likable protagonist, but he could also be his most boring protagonist. So. <laughs> so, like, yeah, the colors are muted. The ending should be happy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, Max Cherry kisses Jackie. She goes to Spain, but he gets a phone call, so he just stares after her sadly, yeah. right? and then he walks into the back room out of focus. And the kiss is very right? sterile. Yeah, it is. Yeah. She kisses him first, and then uh, he kisses her back, so it is a mutual thing. But yeah, he walks into the back room out of focus, like back to his lonely life, and like, why doesn't he go to Spain with her? Why the hell is Melanie with Ordell? It's her house. <laughs> Maybe because he's a criminal and it thrills her, but like that movie shows you that adults are just as irrational, just as bad at making inexplicable decisions as kids are, and that coming to that realization is an adult realization. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, though. So what's <laughs> fun about Jackie Brown is like the fact that you're watching her. I mean, at the beginning of the movie when she gets busted by the ATF agents, and one of them says to her like. <laughs> You know, if I was a 44-year-old black woman just <laughs> hanging on to this shitty job I was lucky enough to have, I don't think I could waste two years in a federal pen. You know, and she's just basically like – she asks to light <laughs> – she goes to light a smoke and he's like, I don't recall you asking me permission to light a cigarette in my office. She's like, may I smoke? He's like, no, you may not. <laughs> so she's just getting nothing out of this. So she goes from that kind of position where she can barely maneuver. She can't get any money. She didn't even know the Coke was in the bag. Mm-hmm. To outsmarting literally everybody in the movie. Yeah. Everybody, Ooh. including Mac. No, not Max. She doesn't use Max, but she does uh, Ray. Max is her accomplice. Right. He takes 10%. Who is it that plays the ATF agent again? It's uh, Michael, Michael Keaton. Yeah. And, and the guy I that plays um, say, but I, pl- I has I the thought... pussy wagon in Kill Bill. He's the other guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can't think of his name. We could just simply flip this He's... page over and... And that I'll was tell you. that was in a real era of his like ability, wasn't it? Like he Michael was still Keaton? kind of. My, uh, yeah. Is it Michael Bowen? Yeah. Uh, ooh, I don't want to lie. Um, but Michael Keaton, yeah, I know it was. It was he was like yeah. around his I'm Batman sure it's Michael Bowen. That's uh, romantic. That's that. Well, I think he just. Did, I actually right? think he just did Batman Returns. Yeah. Um, and he hadn't gone into the multiplicity my life stuff yet. This yeah. is like the bridge to that. But he did play the same cop in. Um, out of sight. Uh, yes, with J-Lo and uh, Clooney. He's the oh, yeah, only actor to play the same character, fictional character, in with by uh, two different studios. Because yeah. Out of Sight was produced by a different studio, and they, were gonna, yeah. where they weren't going to let him use the Ray Nicolette, I think the name is. Yeah. Ray Nicolette. Yeah, yeah. So Jackie Brown can still be fun. I mean, you got... It's an effortless movie. It, from the first shot of Pam Greer on that moving sidewalk. Yeah. And, I mean... The bright yellow font straight out of black exploitation. Yeah. He also does have a lot of in jokes that I'm not going to presume to speak for like a bunch of black people, but I assume these jokes are for black people. Like Samuel L. Jackson goes into Max Cherry's office, and there's a picture of Max Cherry with his black coworker yeah. or his yeah. subordinate. Yeah. You know, and Samuel L. Jackson's like, I bet it was your idea to take that picture, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Or when Jackie offers Max Cherry coffee, and she's like, Well, the milk ran out while I was in jail. And he says, Black's fine. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be yeah. him expressing a sexual interest in her. Interesting. <laughs> so all these little jokes that you wouldn't get if you were 14 are there for you now as you're getting older. Mm-hmm. That, so. um, that is the most tense uh, scene that I can fucking imagine 
uh, just of a person getting dressed in a movie ever. Like, just trying on clothes. Oh, the fitting room scene? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. like, that's so good. It's just, um, and Jackie Brown, just to be clear, is is probably my favorite of his. It's up there for it's, me. Yeah, when they show you the three perspectives, you start to realize how they did it. Because when the the girl in the who works at that store says cash or credit, mm-hmm. and Jackie says cash, she makes a big hand movement, which mm-hmm. would have been done by three cameras, so they could do the Max Cherry POV, the Robert De Niro POV. Yep. Mm. And like, oh wait, your change. That's also a loud thing. Like, yeah. Because how the ha- that would have been really technically difficult yeah. to put that yeah. scene together, right? Yeah, which has subsequently been somewhat copied and, and somewhat expanded on with films like, uh, is it Elephant? That does the two multiple perspectives of the, the killers or like different people on the day of a, a Colin, Columbine type situation where they're following different characters and they've actually had to reshoot this movie over and over and over again from behind several different people because if, if they didn't, mm-hmm. you'd literally see the camera mm-hmm. you know um and and yeah tarantino very much with jackie brown kind of started that kind of trend as well where you you in one film see many not not started it's been done before but uh reinvigorated the mm-hmm. practice of doing that um you know where you see so many different povs of the same situation and it never gets old it's done in such a fresh and fast intense way Right, and yeah. he still has the pop culture kind of boiling in the background. That scene near the beginning where Robert De Niro and Ordell are drinking rum punch, and they're watching that show, Chicks Who Loves Guns, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the judge, when uh, Jackie's first arraigned at getting bail and she stands mute, the judge is Sid Haig. Later on, when they're at Melanie's house at the little button, the mm. first name is S. Haig. Just little jokes like that, I think. Yeah. I mean, a bail bondsman whose name is Cherry and his logo is a cherry. That's, yeah. That's kind of adorable for a man who works with, you know, <laughs> convicts and outlaws. Absolutely. And I, I, I like the idea of, like you said, of uh, him being a likable protagonist. And I also like that he's a boring protagonist in, in that, you know, it allows for you to literally see the, the kind of gears turning. In his head at a lot yeah. of moments. Yeah, yeah. Which you don't get a lot in Tarantino where it is like that breakneck pace like you see and in the And because the, the characters sequences. are used to criminal activity. Whereas mm-hmm. Max Cherry is on the fringes. He provides – so when he's watching Jackie do the trial run of her plan, he watches yeah. the whole thing. And he's out in the parking lot. He's like, it could yeah. work. It you're, could work. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you're literally experiencing um, almost like a practical critical thinking occur on screen. Right. Which is so interesting. It's It's like – Pushing someone with all of the the skills in theory to perform a job, but they've never performed that job before, mm-hmm. putting them into that situation, being like, "Okay, figure it out by," right. and then watching them from a distance while they, you know, you you can see the gears turning, and it's very much, you know, a very synopsized version of that. It's very interesting. It's almost um uh like a um like his whole character is almost like an old um you know like a. a 40s 50s like detective yeah kind of oh yeah it's yeah, almost very it's noir almost like throwback he's, yeah. he's settled into this or i guess noir is traditionally criminals a, but as a bail bondsman yeah. after a That's career a of of this you know like maybe even like even carrying over things like the you know cherry's detective agency to cherry's bail bonds like it's like yeah, yeah. he did you know he, mm-hmm. he he it's what he kind of like the, it, it, the way that everyone comes in too it's yeah. very 
film noir or like again i don't like to use it as a film noir because although like in modern day we we perceive film noir as being predominantly detective films they're not yeah. they're crime yeah. films mm-hmm. um uh but yeah you know it's uh it's so cool that that kind of classic detective film kind of trope used where these people are all coming in and sitting down and these characters are being introduced to Cherry in the the kind of confines of his office the same way as 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 you would see in a detective novel or a detective film He's like a right, big hearted right. pi and i mean he 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 dresses like a guy from the 50s you mm. know his pants come up to almost his pecs it looks <laughs> ridiculous he has he's completely emotionally vacant like jackie's trying to ask him how he feels about getting older cuz she's getting older feels like she's starting over every like 5 years and he's just like i haven't thought about it <laughs> and that's all he has to say, yeah. you know, and like his office, when you first meet Max Cherry, he's on the phone with a completely unrelated case, has nothing to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. They're just showing you that because he's a busy guy and that's what mm-hmm. he does. Right. So it's showing you that these characters have their, they're fully fleshed out. They have rich interiority. So that's why Jackie Brown feels like they're real people because all of them pretty much are. I mean, mm. I mean, Melanie mentions knowing Robert De Niro's character before he went away for bank robbery. Yeah. That's why they feel so familiar with each other, because they knew each other back then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I also love that Jackie gets Ordell's car. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The one that goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Right? They take everything else, but she gets to keep it. Like, she's only driving that to the airport, right? Yeah, so literally she's probably not going to gonna get caught with it. Yeah. <laughs> But even at the end, having got what she wants, she's singing that Bobby Womack song, Cross 110th Street. She yeah. doesn't look particularly happy, does she? Yeah. She looks like she's going to cry. She's all pensive. Yeah, like, she's, she's very uh, – yeah, sorry. That's, and it's not that's just because word. of Max. I think it's because of everything that happened to her in the past two weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's just the, re- the relief of this, uh, you know, of, of being – like, you know, that, that feeling when you don't think you're going to be able to get out of a situation and then you do and it's just like uh, – it's such a, such a weight coming off of you at once that it's that it's jarring, overwhelming. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. It is pretty great, though. Just off topic, just to cross 110th Street because like nobody's like how many people here have actually seen that movie? No, yeah. exactly. I own the soundtrack on vinyl and I haven't seen the movie, but yeah. I love the music in it. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. you know that seems that music that sounds great. Yeah, yeah the whole and it great. only bookends the movie. The Delphonics one comes in and out four or five times, mm-hmm. but across 110th Street is at the very beginning with the moving sidewalk, yeah. and at the very end when she's again moving mm-hmm. back to the airport. So. Which is cl- pretty classic and, of like movies at that time too to bookend right. them with that same song because 110th Street starts off pretty much almost identical to Jackie Brown, yeah, with like the running scene and like the music's going and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and you got your main actor, and it ends just like that. So it was a very good hats off to right. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean that first scene when she's on the moving sidewalk introduces to you the color scheme of the movie, the wall yeah. in the background, the black exploitation font. Yeah. All of that stuff. Classic. The uh the scene colors. where De Niro uh, you know gets rid of Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, showing he's, someone he's pulp crazy. fiction for the first time, I just could not wait for her reaction to obviously Marvin getting his face shot off because that's really really funny. Yeah. yeah. But also Melody getting shot. Yeah. It's like because Tarantino has gone on record saying that violence, if done right, can be extremely funny, and it is. <laughs> it is. <Yeah>. Because <laughs> I mean, she's been bothering Lewis the whole morning. She's deliberately <laughs> late. She tries to carry the bag, but he takes it. You know. Yeah. Finally, he tells her. He doesn't tell her what he's gonna do. Maybe she would have listened. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just shoot. And then afterwards, like the discussion with Ordell, he's like, we do not want that woman surviving on us. 
anyone but that woman. You know, where'd you shoot her? He's like, well, the stomach and the chest. Is she dead? Pretty much. The <laughs> fact that he said pretty much. Like, you think maybe she's not dead. Yeah. She has to be dead. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he, it's like he's he's committed to it. Like he's he's uh, I like I love that about his character. That like he tells her like you say one more word, one more word, and then there's almost that moment when she does where he's like, mm, mm, no, it's important. <laughs> I told her it's important. I know enough. you can totally see. It. You can obviously see it in his face too. If the I restraint. don't shoot her, then <laughs> yeah. And he's still talking to her after she's dead. He's like, just where I said it was. It's right over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know and like Ordell's not even that surprised like yeah. well if you have to shoot her you have to shoot her right <laughs> like, yeah. it's impossible for me to think that that movie is happening in the 90s it just feels like a, the 1970s in that movie yeah. I don't know why it just does yeah it's uh, it's uh, not just the characters but the whole situation and uh, like and, and uh, like everything is just so so believable in that movie um, versus the others that it really is a standout. Like that's in my top three. Absolutely. I, I would say I would say Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards in that movie, and and I I really do have a tough time saying you know which which I would show somebody first. I think Jackie Brown. I was so hesitant to to see originally. Like yeah. I just didn't think yeah. it looked that interesting. And so I saved it for last. Yeah. Um, after I didn't see it till I. After Death Proof came out, really? Yeah, yeah I like same waited here. a really long time same, to see that movie. Same, yeah, see, same. my order was Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Oh, you did it the classic way. You like got it in chronological. Order. Yeah, I've literally seen these films in order. Well, from just, Bastards on, I've done chronological. That's not saying much. There's only two there. <laughs> I think I watched, Jackie and it's Brown accidental. For the, first yeah. the whole thing, it's amazing. On uh, Netflix at uh, uh, when we were living on Darcy Street. Mm-hmm. I think I, that this was episode like brought to you by Netflix. Uh, first experience would have been like around um, like 2008, 2008 2000 yeah watch a new Marvel series <laughs> that Jessica Jones really is wonderful Netflix Netflix um, oh yeah one other thing I, I needed to mention about Jackie Brown it does have the classic trunk shot carrying on that tradition from the first two right mm. it's got uh, Reservoir Dogs is the trunk shot yep. I think when yep. Madsen steals the cop the cop yep Pulp Fiction would be when they're getting ready to shoot Brad and get back the briefcase yep. And in, in Jackie Brown, it's when <laughs> it's when Ordell Samuel Jackson's character is trying to convince Chris Tucker's character yeah to get in the to trunk. get in the trunk. <laughs> All the master you do is get in the trunk and hold his shotgun, <laughs> and in, and it makes it sound believable somehow. And in Kill Bill, it's when um With, uh, she puts a uh, Lucy Liu's uh, Sophie uh, yeah, Sophie. Sophie. Patel? Yeah. When she puts her in the trunk, when she's got her arm cut off, and then yeah. takes her out of the trunk, and then and f- throws oh, her fucking down yeah. the hill. Does Death Proof and, have a trunk and, shot? And she's so goddamn beautiful, that actress. What the hell is her name? I know it, and I can't think of it. Death uh, Proof? She's, it she's, should have a trunk shot, shouldn't it? Didn't the Australian go in the trunk before he put her on the hood? She didn't go in the trunk before she went on the hood. Wait, maybe. Who? And what? So, Zoe in um, Death Proof, did she go in the trunk before she went on the hood? I feel like someone went in the trunk. You'd think in a car movie. <laughs> You'd think in a Tarantino movie about cars, Some, someone would yeah, go Someone's got to get in the trunk somewhere. One thing I forgot to mention about Death Proof is that scene where one of the girls is asleep, just napping in the back, and Kurt Russell licks her toe or something. You know? Yeah, it's a real Tarantino to, moment. He has to pretend he's there to like find his keys, and he's just like, where's my keys? Here they are. Like, in the same <laughs> sentence. Like, he's not even trying. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. 
He's uh he's jokes. Well, any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this up on Tarantino as a whole, on your film, on uh, you know what you're looking forward to in the future? Obviously, Hateful Eight's on the way this Christmas. Which uh, has a lot of echoes of Reservoir Dogs, if we're talking yeah. a bottle kind of movie. They're all in the same And movie. now that I know about that Twilight Zone yeah. tie-in, I'm, I'm super excited. Sounds like it could almost be like a – like Reservoir Dogs, I always thought like was a stage play. You know what I mean, and like, I, and here's yeah, the thing. And I went like to very a, much could be, and so I went to Neil McNeil, all boys Catholic high school. So when we had a drama department, they were like, "So what play are we gonna do?" In my head, I'm just like, "Well, the only one we can actually do is Reservoir Dogs, because <laughs> right. we don't need we need maybe one female, which we can get from Dame. But other than that, like, mm-hmm. all the boys could do this. Sure, it's <laughs> one scene. Well, are you just talking the girl that shoots the shoots uh, Tim Roth? Because really, you could put a guy in a wig just to shoot Tim Roth. Yeah, it's true. Wear, wear a dress. He's, you got a gun. It's mas- It's it's masculine overall. But, uh, I just love his use of Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell needs to be used more in film. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he's wonderful. He is. I think uh, you know. You, even though we're talking about best and worst, I mean, it's like talking about the difference between a ninety-five and a ninety-eight percent. Just like shut up about it. Like just mm-hmm. I know. All of them, yeah. You know. Like don't don't um, you know don't if if there's anyone that that we have. Um, talked, you know, spoken ill of in any uh, any minor way. Like, I don't think we really did. No, you. Um, if you it, haven't it, seen it, any of these movies that we've talked them. about, yeah, fucking watch them. Like, they, st- stop yeah. what you're doing right now. If you had plans, call that person up. Tell them, go fuck yourself. I'm going to be locked down for the next 24 hours and just watch them all through because they're... Or if you tell them, they'll probably watch them yeah, with you. Yeah, just invite them over. <laughs> yeah, what am I saying? Yeah, of course. Get your friends together. Have a marathon. Tarantino, a Tarantino marathon is is both grueling and satisfying, more so than many other marathons that you could possibly mm-hmm. do out there. Mm-hmm. So um, consider it. Get some friends together and do that. But you got to watch these films. Yeah, I guess one last point I'd add is like there's been mounting criticism that of self-parody over the years and self-referentiality and all that, which I don't really think is fair. Like any great artist, their past is like this hot jacket they can't take off. And it's right? not something and you should be ashamed of either. No, but they're consistently compared to great, great work they've done before. And it's even as a huge fan, it's hard for me to go in and watch one of his movies and not. I'm not comparing it while I'm watching it, but I'm expecting the greatness that I felt with his previous films. But, I mean, Death Proof, it seemed like he was on a downward trajectory, but then Bastards was so good, it's obvious the guy can still make any kind of movie he still wants to make. So, I'm not worried about it. Mm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's it for you, Devin? Nothing else? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> pretty pretty uh, okay. open and shut. <laughs> All right. So... Remember, this is just the beginning of the conversation. We want to continue it on with you, so please go to our website, yell at us there, uh, reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at not Brandon Fleet. Uh, do you guys want to offer up your Twitters? Uh, at Ant East. I'm at uh, YR underscore homeboy. That's your homeboy. <laughs> Holler at your homeboy. Holler at me. I'm at Leafs Love Hurts, as in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Love Hurts. All right. All right. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your you know SoundCloud, or your favorite podcatcher, whatever that may be. Take us with you where you go, um, in the car, in the bathroom, wherever uh, we can be with you. Um, 
and not in a creepy way. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, um, thank you. And um, you can check out all of our cool stuff on YouTube. We've got uh, tons of good clips uh, for stuff coming up, uh, stuff that's passed. If you want to kind of get a vibe for a show, see if you if you like the panel, whatever. Um, and uh, I really want to continue this conversation on because, you know, we we barely scratched the surface on the things that we could discuss with Tarantino. So please reach out to us and um, and tell us what what movie you would introduce uh, a new viewer to Tarantino with, um, and why? And why? Yeah, we wanted an essay format, please. Um, and other than that, thanks for hanging out with us. That was getting heated. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs)